23, sorry. Philippians chapter 4, the very last chapter of Philippians, and we're going to start at verse 10. And this, of course, is Paul's final messages and greetings to the church at Philippi. And he says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And it always surprises me to read in this letter where Paul says that the, the brothers in Caesar's household greet you, even in that centre of what in those days was paganism. God had his people. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn now to study your holy word, we pray, Lord, that you would keep us from error, guide us into the truth. We pray, Almighty Father, that your word would go forth and produce much fruit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you may have seen from the title of my message, I want to speak on the topic, Peace Through Contentment. And you might think, well, that's all very well, but let's face it, not particularly relevant because we've had all the COVID business for two years or so. We've got all this business now in the UK. Ukraine and Russia and Putin. We've got the cool relationship with China. We've got the problems perhaps with Taiwan. So, you know, we really need something much more relevant than peace. But yet, is it so irrelevant? The people in Moldova and Romania and Poland who are reaching out to these refugees are people who know peace in their hearts. And it's because they have that peace in their hearts that they are then able to go to deal in chaotic times and to help people. You see, it makes all the difference if we have peace in our hearts. And it's true, of course, in our homes and in our workplaces. If we know peace in our hearts, we walk into work 
and there's some people having a barney about something, then we can go over and we can say, look, what's going on? Uh, how can we sort this out? Because we have that peace in our hearts. If we go there and we are just as anxious as anybody else, how can we possibly help? So it does make a tremendous difference. So we are going to look this morning at peace through contentment. I'm sure that if you ask people if they are contented, almost all people would say, yes, of course I am. I'm contented. Because we feel instinctively that to deny it, to say, oh, no, really, I'm discontented, uh, is a childish thing. And we wouldn't like to admit it. It reminds us of a, a child who is playing with some other children. And every time it sees something that another child has, it's got to grab it and take it because it's discontented with what it has and it needs more. We think, well, you know, people will think I'm childish if I say, yeah, I'm not really very contented at all. So we don't like to admit to that. And I think also if we think about Christian people, it's true in the church as well we would certainly not admit to being discontented. But I think perhaps there are times when it is a problem with us. And if this is the case, then it diminishes the peace in our hearts. And it cannot be otherwise. For contentment means a thankful, grateful, settled state of heart in all the things that God has given to us and is another way of describing peace. So let me ask you this this morning then, rather pointedly. Are you content with what you have? Do you have contentment in the circumstances in which you find yourself? Are you content with the material possessions you have? Are you content with the wife or the husband that God has given to you? Children, are you content with your parents? Or do you look at your parents and say, they're not as good as the ones down the road there, I wish they were different, do you show that discontentment? Are you content or do you find yourself looking at other people and thinking, I wish I had what they had. I would be so much happier if I had that car or that house or that wife. I'd be so much happier. So we do need to look at this topic. But before we do that, there are some misconceptions that we need to just put aside. By Christian contentment, we don't mean that we should be content with our level of holiness. In that, we should be discontented. Because we are always to be striving to be more like Christ. We are always to be seeking that the image of Christ would be created within us. We are always to be seeking that sin would be done away with and we would become more and more pure in heart and mind and more and more like Christ. So we don't mean that. We don't mean that we should put up with degrading conditions. It was Christian people who worked to remove the appalling conditions in British factories and jails. It was Christian people who agitated against the use of children in factories because they said, this is degrading, this is not right. It was Christian people, as you well know, who agitated for the removal of slavery. 
They were not contented about things like that, things that were degrading. Also, it doesn't mean that we should not seek to save and provide for the future and provide the best for our families. Of course we should. But you see, that's different from being full of fretting and fuming that our neighbour buys designer-labeled jeans from a boutique, whereas I have to buy them from a chain store. It's a different thing. And nor does contentment mean stoicism, a stiff upper lip. There are those people who show little emotion, whatever happens, and appear to have no visible discontentment. But this is utterly different to the grateful, joyful contentment of the Christian. The Apostle Paul was no stoic. When he received encouragement, when news came that encouraged him, he was so grateful for that and so happy for it. He grieved over the Christians in Galatia because they were dabbling with a gospel that was not a gospel. Did he just say, oh, well, easy come, easy go? No, he was very discontented with that. He grieved over the Corinthians for their immorality. Then he rejoiced when Titus came to him with news of a change of heart of the Corinthians. And he was so pleased. He was no stoic. He was pleased. But nevertheless, as we saw in the reading we just had from Philippians, so far as his external state was concerned, so far as his circumstances were concerned, he had learned to be content, not stoically, but joyfully and thankfully so. In other words, the Apostle Paul was self-sufficient in the sense of being independent of circumstances for his peace of heart. You all know, I'm sure, the story when Paul was in prison in Philippi. And Paul was in control, not his circumstances being in control. And he was able, with Silas, to sing hymns of praise to God. And you know the story how the Philippian jailer is just so stunned with all of this that he comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? So Paul, even there, was at peace. He was contented with where God had placed him at that particular time. This is so often not true of us. We feel, once I've got the ideal home, once I've got the ideal car, once I've got a, things are going better for me, once I've reached a certain level of wealth, then I'll be content, then I'll know peace of heart. But you see, Paul is talking here about a peace of heart that is not dependent on external circumstances or surroundings, not dependent on status or prestige or wealth. This is a problem which affects all of us to some degree or other at some time or other. Now, what are we to do about it? Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. The first thing that we see in this verse is that Paul learned... He learned. He learned the lesson. This was not something that dropped into his lap. Growing in holiness is not something that just drops into our lap. It's something that we learn, something that we work at. And Paul learned the lesson. He learned it through personal experience and probably 
through hard experience. You know the story that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. There was something that was really aggravating to him. And he pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from him because he felt if he can take this away, then things will be so much better. And you remember what the Lord said to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so far as we are aware, Paul continued with that thorn in the flesh for the rest of his life. And you see, he learned that contentment came from accepting the will of God, accepting it joyfully. And it may very well be that God will allow us to be afflicted and dealt with in some way so that we learn to appreciate gratefully what we have and to be contented with it. This is what Paul, uh, sorry, this is what God did to Paul. And it may be he has done it with you or perhaps will do. Who knows? Are you finding your money is just not amassing enough despite all your struggling and all your scrimping? Are you not finding contentment in your family despite your bullying and manipulating to get things the way you want so that they're the perfect family? Could it be that the Lord is dealing with you to show you that if you will not be content until circumstances and conditions are the way you want them to be, then you will suffer heartache until you learn to see that the Lord daily loads you with benefits and you are so discontented you don't see it. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves of some basic doctrines that the Apostle Paul assumed in all of this. Some basic doctrines that our Christian faith teaches us in the Bible. Again and again, this tends to be our great failing as Christian people. We never get past the milk of the word. We never get into the teachings of the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible. And we think, well, that's for theological students and you know, professors and academics, not for ordinary people. No, 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 that is so wrong. After all, what is our doctrine? It is just putting into one basket what the Bible teaches on one particular topic and studying that and learning from it. So, let me put forward two doctrines that Paul teaches us that I believe will be of great help to us. Firstly, the fatherhood of God. Chris, in his prayer this morning, used the word Abba, Father. And as you know, Paul refers to that, Abba, Father. Abba was the Aramaic word that means, is the, the, the word used by children of their father, Abba, Father. We are to talk of God, talk to God as one who is our heavenly father, who cares for us, as a human father does for his children, and supremely better. He is a father who has bound himself to you with cords that cannot be broken. He has plucked you out of sin and out of rebellion to himself and given you a new heart and by his spirit made you a new creature and given you to see the excellence of Jesus Christ. Will that same father not keep you to the end? Will he not provide all your need? And you know the answer to that question. He who bought you at the cost of the death of his own son 
Will he just cast you aside as time goes on? Of course he won't. Let's just remind ourselves of this. In Romans chapter 8, there are those famous verses where Paul says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That covers a lot, doesn't it? And then Paul prays for the believers in the church at Ephesus. And he prays that they will have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's his prayer for them. That they might understand all the inheritance, all the riches that are theirs in God the Father. And then in Jude, at the very end of Jude, we read these words which also are very well known. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. My friends, you have a heavenly Father who knows your every need, who delights to provide it abundantly. And it cannot be, and we'll finish on this particular point with this reading, cannot be more clearly stated than in Matthew chapter 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, we have access to the one who has power over the whole universe, what possible reason can there be to be discontented? But there is a second doctrine that Paul refers to often, and that is the providence of God. And by providence, of course, we mean God's dealings with his children. Those dealings are always tailor-made for each one. So he doesn't deal in the same way with every person. And we've got to remember that. To some he keeps them quite poor. To others, he gives the ability to make wealth. And there are people like, people like both. But if God deals with one this way and another that way, it's not your business. It's God's. You remember that story when towards the end of Jesus' life and Peter looked over at the apostle whom he loved, the beloved apostle, and he said to Jesus, what about him? You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, if it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Quite a rebuke, isn't it? And a rebuke that we sometimes need to know too. Lord, why are you blessing them far more than you're blessing me? Well, that's my business, not yours. So the providence of God. God's dealings are infinitely wise. They are dripping with mercy and love. As we read in Psalm 25, all his providence, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. So are you going through a time of trial and affliction? And you say, 
What's so good about this sickness? What's so good about this trial, this suffering? Well, let me ask you, are you looking for any good? Because if you're not, you certainly won't find it. If you look for it, I'm sure that the Lord will make sure you find it. Also, we pass through times of fiery trials. Not always, praise the Lord, but sometimes. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, this also is addressed because Peter says to the believers that he is writing to, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes and tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that there are times when God chastises us, when he disciplines us, because God sees it is necessary. So in Hebrews 12 we read, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We read in Genesis chapter 50 the story of Joseph. We just read a small part of it. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. What an awful thing to do. But what does Joseph say to his brothers after years and years have passed and they meet up again? He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God, in his providence, it doesn't say that, I just put that in, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What about when when Joseph was unjustly put into prison? And he said to the butler, this is what's going to happen to you. And it happened. And the butler said, look, when I get out of this prison, I'll put in a good word for you so that you can be released as well. What did the butler do? He forgot. So two more years elapsed until finally Joseph was released. What happened to Joseph after that? He became second in charge in the entire kingdom of Egypt. If he had been released two years previously, when the butler was released, he probably would have been resold as a slave. See how God's providence is always perfect. You may not see it at the time. I guess Joseph didn't see it at the time, but he did see it later. There's a wonderful hymn by Robert Murray McChain, and I'm sure you've all heard of his name that catches up this thought, and this is just one stanza from it. He says, When this passing world is done, when has sunk the radiant sun, when I stand with Christ on high, looking over life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And that will be true of all of us. See the teaching. If God's providential dealing with you is always perfect and tailor-made, what reason do we have for discontentment? So, my friends, do you wish to walk in peace every day? Then learn in every circumstance to be content. Learn to see 
that you have a heavenly father who watches over you and broods over you all the time. Learn to see that his providences are always perfect and infinitely wise. And may God bless to our souls this thinking from his holy word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the clear teaching of Scripture that we are to be people of great contentment under your hand and under your fatherhood. Father, we pray that you would work this in our hearts, that we might display peace, Lord, in all that we do as we go about our business day by day within our homes, in the workplace, wherever it is that we go. We pray, Lord, that this pervading peace would be a peace, Lord, that speaks to other people of something that they do not have. And may they seek out this peace in the only place it can be found, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour. Hear our prayers, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.